out there. Glad to see you here this morning, and I want to echo Pastor Brandon's welcome for you who are not customarily here on a Sunday morning. We're glad you've, you've come today. Um, in the early church, the, as the congregations would gather together, the leader would uh, call out, he is risen, and the church would respond in agreement, he is risen indeed. And wouldn't it be a great day to do that? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now with enthusiasm, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you have a Bible along, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 27 this morning. If you don't have one, we'll be putting the words up on the screen uh, for most of the passages that we'll be looking at this morning. I want to pray for us as, uh, as we begin. Father, we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit this morning to be our teacher, speaker, our inspirer our consolation. We understand that unless you um, speak, nothing really gets accomplished. And so I pray that you would um, work through me when possible and in spite of me when necessary. And I pray for us, um, whether we are a follower of Jesus, um, uh, not a follower of Jesus, on the way, I pray that your spirit would capture our hearts um, all over again with the glory of the gospel. And uh, we pray that you would bind the enemy who hates you, he hates us, he hates the good news. And on this day in which his great adversary is exalted especially, um, we pray that you would bind him and silence him among us in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is In Love Abandoned. And I want to show you a, a little trailer from a movie that was made a couple of years ago called The Dropbox. It's a story about a pastor in Seoul, South Korea, um, who, along with his congregation, decided to do something about the children that were being abandoned, the in babies that were being abandoned in the streets of Seoul. Um, almost all of these had some sort of uh, mental disability and, and or physical disability. And over the last couple of years, they've, they've literally rescued hundreds of little babies. Take a look. And then I was weeping. I always cry when I'm angry. And she said, why are you crying? It's only orphan. The baby box is South Korea's first and only box to collect abandoned infants. Hundreds of unwanted babies are abandoned on the streets of Seoul, South Korea every year. Tragic loss of life moved a pastor said to set up a way for saving unwanted babies. ご存知ないでの、奥さんにいやいや、僕もなんかじゃ、あ、やったっすね。やったらしいです。え、くじまら。くじめ、喉を動、駅で笑。キリオンライ、オンライ、くじ。じゃあ、あれ、ご託での
길이 영어 이름은 빅토리. 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 그래서 그 아이들이 이 세상에 필요 없는 존재들이 아니고 하나님이 쓰시고자 이 땅에 보내셨어. 여기 이제 예, 가정에 20명이나 한그 아이들이 좁은 공간에서 많이 살고 있으니까. 공동체가 다른 것은 아버지 어머니가 있기 때문이죠. 또 하지 않는 일 그리고 버려질 수 있고 또는 나라에서 하지 않고 있는 이런 일들을 하시는. Even if there's just one person that really cares about children, it makes such a difference. They're just human beings, just like anyone else. They have the right to live. 이 문제가 한국만의 문제가 아니고 이제 아마 세계적으로 이 아이들이 이렇게 박혀버려서 시생당한 아이들이 많으니까 But these children, they're helpless, they're voiceless. Who's going to speak for them? 이 아이를 보내면서 다시 한번 내가 헌신을 했어요. 하나님, 이 아이들에 대해서 내가 죽겠습니다. And most of you do the same thing at your house. But if we see somebody walking by a trash can and discarding something that we think of value, we, we wonder, think is a value, we wonder what in the world we're doing. So if I'd walk by this trash can and throw a $50 bill in, you go, stay, stay away from this. You're like, what's wrong with you? If I went by and I threw in a, a $10,000 diamond ring, You'd say, what's, what's wrong with you? Because we only throw things in the trash that we don't value. A couple of weeks ago, I got a new office across the street at the youth center, and it forced me to go through my office and discard some things that I've been saving over the years. The first time I've moved out of that office, 22 years. And so I took about 15 loads of uh, trash out to the dumpster, books and papers and other odds and ends that I kept. You know how it goes. You put things up in your attic, you put them in a drawer, you put them in a cupboard because I might need them someday. It might be worth something someday. And I got rid of all those things because it had lost its value. When we read about Jesus in the, in the Gospels, we see someone who is high and lifted up in so many ways, in some cases by people, uh, always by his father. And yet, when we come to his death on the cross, he says words that make us scratch our heads. So I want to read a couple of verses out of Matthew chapter 27, beginning of verse 45. <clears throat> 
you know the story, you know that Jesus was brought up in false charges by religious authorities. They took him to civil authorities to have their way um, accomplished. And so he's been nailed to a cross, the most vicious, violent, um, torturous way to die ever devised by human beings. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Now, Jesus would have spoke Aramaic as his conversational tongue, and that's what this was in. It means in English, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, it's interesting. These are the very words that are quoted by the king slash prophet David in Psalm chapter 22, which Katie Joy read on that video that you watched a little bit earlier. Let me read just the first verse of that chapter, Psalm 22, verse 1. This has been written and said a thousand years before Jesus hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Now, the difference between when David said it and when Jesus said it is that for Jesus, it was actually true. For David, it felt like it was true. And most of us, if, if you have a relationship with God through Christ, most of us have felt a time where we, it seemed as if God had marched away from us. God had abandoned us. God had left us on our own, to our own devices. Maybe it was we were praying about something, and we prayed and prayed, and God didn't seem to answer, at least certainly not the way that we anticipated or hoped that he would. It feels like God's on the run from us. And yet the promise of Hebrews is, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But when Jesus said it, it really was true. And we ask, how can that be? This is, this is the one that the Bible describes as God's one and only son in whom I am well pleased. He said that. Uh, I, I love him. How could it possibly be that a father of that magnitude actually could abandon his son? Here's the thing. God did abandon his son, but not because he loved him little, but because he loved you much. The father did not abandon his son because he loved him little, but because he loved you much. There's an interesting verse in the book of, uh, in the beginning of an ancient prophetic book, Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, where the prophet says this to God and about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Now, there's an interesting thing that the Bible tells us about Jesus that hung on the cross that day, and that was from the time he was born until the time he died at 33 years of age, he never once told a lie, not even a small one, to save his bacon with mom. He never once slept with a woman that wasn't his wife. Well, he wasn't married. He didn't sleep with anyone. He never once coveted and idolized something that wasn't his. Not once did he throw a friend under the bus. 
Not once in all those years that he was home did he say no to his father or his mother, something that they wanted him to do. Not once in all those 33 years did he fail to do what his heavenly father desired, and yet he died. And we scratch our heads and say, how can that be? Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Jesus had no sin to die for, nothing to pay for. You and I will all cease to breathe at some point, in part because we're sinners. Jesus had no sin. But at that moment that Jesus was dying and when he died, his father, who's too pure to look upon evil, had to turn away because his son was bearing sin just wasn't his own let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 <clears throat> verse 21 for God made Christ now Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah it wasn't his last name it was Jesus the Messiah for God made Christ who never sinned never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ or as some of your translations say that we might become the righteousness of God in him the most amazing exchange that has ever been made took place at the cross where Jesus took our sins and in return gave us the prospect anyway of his perfect righteousness and so if you're a Christian and you're in Christ you've been reconciled to the father the father doesn't look as you at you as a speckled bird marred with some sin he now looks at you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that's why the father turned away and abandoned his son not just to death but to sin now, that's Good Friday. We can't talk about Easter Sunday, though, without talking about Good Friday. Because Good Friday set up what we enjoy and rejoice in about Easter. So even though Jesus was abandoned to sin, he was awakened from death. Let's go back to our passage in Matthew, going on to the next chapter, chapter 28, starting at verse 1. Early on Sunday morning... So Jesus was crucified Friday, was taken down from the cross, put in a tomb early Sunday morning as the new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear as they, when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he was risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. 
Now, we know from eyewitness accounts that Jesus actually did die. One of the arguments of skeptics down through the ages has been, well, Jesus really didn't die. And when they put him in that cold, musty tomb, he was resuscitated. No, he died. Even the Roman soldiers said so, and they were hardly followers or believers. They went out to Jesus, and they were going to break his legs. That's what you would do to a crucifixion victim when you wanted to move the death along, because when you'd break the legs, they were no longer able to push up on the nails and the foot peg and their feet and hold their body up, and so their body would kind of collapse down on the lungs and constrict the lungs, and they would soon suffocate. But the Scripture tells us, again, eyewitness counts, that when they came to Jesus, he was already dead, and so they didn't break his legs, which fulfilled a prophecy. Not only did they not break his legs, but they plunged a spear into his side. Now, surely, if he were still alive, there would have been some sort of reaction. Instead, blood water flowed out of his body. He really was dead. And the reason that that matters is because when Jesus came back from the dead, he, he vindicated himself in some way. Jesus had a habit of saying things that could not be objectively verified. So, for example, he'd, he'd say, um, my father has sent me from heaven. Well, how do you prove that? He'd say, as we said a, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the story of the uh, men who lowered their paralyzed friend down in front of Jesus. Remember that? They couldn't get to him in the crowd in the house that he was in, so they tore off the roof and lowered him in front of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, instead of saying you're healed, which was why they had brought him, said, your son, your sins are forgiven, which upset everybody around the crowd there. And like, <laughs> excuse me? Who can forgive sins except God? Are you, are you claiming to be God? And Jesus asked them, well, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, uh, take up your mat and walk? But so that you might know that the Son of Man also has the power to forgive sins, he says to this paralyzed man, get up and walk, and he did. You see, there's no way for anybody to take a blood test of that man and find out whether or not his sins actually had been forgiven. There's, there's no data readout out of his mouth and say, yeah, my sins have been forgiven. But he, he, he does another miracle to vindicate his claim that he could forgive this man's sins. And in the same way, Jesus had prophesied in John chapter 12, verse 32, that when I am lifted up, he was speaking about the day he's going to be crucified. On that day, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will, I will draw all kinds of people to myself. And this resurrection, this coming back from the dead, was a vindication of that claim. It was a validation that what he said he was going to accomplish on the cross, the salvation for sinners that he was pursuing on the cross, actually occurred. Paul pointed this out in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. He says, For God has set a day for judging the world with justice, by the man he has appointed, speaking of Jesus, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And so Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, was proof that what was claimed to have taken place on Friday actually did take place. So Jesus, abandoned by his father, abandoned to sin, awakened from death. Now, what in the world difference does this make to you and to me in 2017? Does it make any difference? 
Is it just an intriguing historical event that we remember every year, much like we remember the 4th of July or some similar holiday? Does it really have anything to do with you, me? And maybe we want to ask the question, why was Jesus crucified and why was he raised back to life? And if you're a Christian, your automatic response is he, he did that so that he could save sinners like me. And we would say amen. But there's a bit more to it than that. You remember when I said that word Christ, the name Christ, is the um, Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. Anointed one. Now, if you go back in history, and you go back especially to the Jewish people, whom did they anoint? Anoint meant to take a flask of oil, and you would pour it on the head of someone. Who were the someones that they would do that to? Three people. They would do it to the priests, they would do it to the prophets, and they would do it to the, can you help me? Kings. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was all three. Prophet, priest, and king. Priest, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, king. Make no mistake about it. Jesus didn't just die for your sins. Jesus was anointed to rule your life. Jesus was anointed to rule this world. Continuing on, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. We often read this in conjunction with the Great Commission and maybe buzz over this sentence. Jesus came and told his disciples, this is after he's been raised from the dead, he meets with his disciples and he tells them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now you might scratch your head about that and say, that doesn't really make any sense because I don't see, I don't see Jesus around anywhere. I don't see a palace that he lives in and rules from. I don't see the normal trappings of a kingdom authority that you would typically see. He doesn't stand at the head of some army. He doesn't collect revenue. He doesn't print money. The kinds of things that you would expect from a ruler, we don't, there's no evidence of that here with Jesus yet. And yet Jesus is saying, from the time he's raised from the dead, I have been given all authority, heaven and on earth. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that when God uh, sent his son to die and then he raised him from the dead and then he sat him on the throne, he did so so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And now the question that we are left with on a resurrection Sunday like this, is he Lord of us? 
We can applaud the fact that his father abandoned him so that we might be delivered of our sin penalty and applaud the fact that that the father raised him back to life and wakened him from the dead. Is the applause as mighty and as full of rejoicing that he has been authorized to rule in your life and mine? Because make no mistake about it, one day, every one of you and me here and in every other church in this county and outside of the churches of this county and across this globe, all 7.2 or 3 billion people today, as well as those who lived 1,000 years ago and maybe 500 years ahead, will all, whether voluntarily or enforced, bow the knee and say, you are Lord. Would you pray with me? When we sing songs like we sang earlier at the Mercy Tree, I, it just breaks me. Because some of you know something about me. My wife knows a lot more about me. I know even more about me. And it's not good. And to think that that holy, perfect, sinless one was violated the way he was violated for bum like me is just absolutely wrecking to my heart. And the next time I fail and stumble, I'm reminded that he suffered that all for me. And he did so, not so that I continue, could continue on my way, my own king. He did so, so that he might be my king and I might be his servant. And so that I might say in obedience, I'm only a worthless servant who's done what he's been asked to do. And if you're here this morning and you're a professing Christian, but you look at your life and you acknowledge that, man, he, it's not just that you sin from time to time. He's not your Lord. You are. What better day than Resurrection Sunday to confess and to repent and to turn to Jesus and say, you will be my Lord. Today I covenant with you under the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within me. You will be my Lord. And if you are still on the way to Christ, please understand that he doesn't just want to save you from your sin's penalty. He wants to save you from your sin. And he will give you the power of the Holy Spirit 
if you repent of your sin and you put faith in the blood of Jesus Christ to save you, it's all it takes. It's all it takes. By prayer, by thought, by actual word. And he will give you the Holy Spirit to live in you the rest of your life to help you fight that ongoing fight against sin. And Jesus indeed be your Lord. Thanks for the cross, Father. I don't even, almost feel, sounds blasphemous to say this, but thank you for abandoning your son for those moments so he could deliver thousands, millions of us for all eternity. We're so grateful.